Everything is at stake in the midterm elections, which is why, now, more than ever, it's important to be informed. Fortunately, the podcast Thinking Cap can help. It covers all of the major issues at the intersection of activism, race, policy, and politics, featuring the nation's top progressive leaders and influencers. Subscribe to Thinking Cap on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. We're in the parking lot of the Orchid City Fusion Cafe in Arlington, about halfway between Dallas and Fort Worth. Janelyn Sanchez, the Democratic candidate for Congress in this district, is standing next to me. She's wearing Texas flag cowboy boots and has her hair in a blowout. She's finishing up a call. Okay. Oh, Beto is arriving at this rally, so I'll call you back. All right. Thank you, lady. Bye-bye. Jana is a first-time candidate. She ran because of Donald Trump. She was fired up as a woman. She was fired up as a Mexican-American. The website 538 gives her a 1 in 20 chance of winning. But she's getting support from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, and she's been endorsed by the Dallas Morning News. What she's seeing on the ground? It makes her feel like she's got a chance. There's obviously a very solid Republican base. There's a very solid Democratic base. But I would say the majority of voters in the district fall into that persuadable category. And when it comes to Beto, she looks around at a crowd like this, and she just doesn't buy the polls. Okay, last question. Sorry. He's been down in every single poll, as has like every statewide Democrat. Total BS. Everybody's been calling me from all, all my friends have been texting me and calling me going, please tell me Beto's going to win from all over the country. I'm like, trust me, the guy is winning. And so the polls are, are overweighing um, men um, based on previous elections, and they're not reaching young people. I mean, when's the last time you answered your phone if you didn't know who was calling? I do all the, I'm a reporter. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a couple hundred people are out here. Beto is making his way into the crowd. After weeks of rain... It's a sunny and crisp fall day. Seriously, I mean, you youngsters don't answer your phones, right? I think the polls are all going to be massively off. I don't think there's any chance in hell that Beto's losing. Can I, after we're going to, we have a final post-election episode, can I call you after the election? Hey, thank you all. Thank you all for being here and to greet us on this incredibly beautiful day. Today marks the end of early voting. Tuesday is election day. As of October 31st, more than 32% of registered voters in the state's 30 biggest counties have already cast their ballots. That's nearly as much as in the entire 2014 midterm election. And we still have a lot of voting left. This is Underdog, a production of Texas Monthly and Pineapple Street Media. I'm Eric Benson. A poll released yesterday from Emerson College showed Beto down by just three points. That's really close. But the big question remains, could the polls be underestimating his support? And if the race is really neck and neck, what can he do to keep turning people out? This week, the final push. Beto has been grinding over the last two weeks. By the time his Vote with Beto tour wraps up this afternoon, he'll have crammed in 63 events in 12 days. 
Most of them are shoestring and close to the ground, and most of the people attending them have already voted. After the Arlington rally, I grab him as he's walking back to his van. Can we do a walk and talk? Hey, hey, man. Hey, yeah, doing? absolutely. How's, how's your voice doing? You know, it's it's better, um, and I, I feel better than I sound, but I lost, you know, my full voice probably four or five days ago um, and haven't haven't been able to quite get it back because we just there's never a chance to stop talking and rest. So I think this this is it's going to sound like this or worse for the next 11 days. But that's all right. Um, who I mean, at this point, you've been on the road for 18 months. Yeah. You've, you've given thousands of speeches. You've driven like probably like a million miles. Right. I mean, how you probably have a count. Maybe you don't. I, I don't. I should, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who's who's left to reach? Um, there are so many people, to be honest with you, and, and that is um, we, we couldn't have started the campaign early enough. We couldn't have driven hard enough. Um, we couldn't have shown up in enough places to reach everyone. Um, and I owe everyone who's been a part of this, everyone who's counting on us to do everything within my power over the days that remain to reach everyone that we possibly can. And that's why we're doing so many events, driving so many more miles and, and sleeping so few hours. How much did you sleep last night? Um, last night was good. I, I got over six hours. So that's 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 been a, a rare exception. It's been more in the four to five hour range. But uh, if I can get anywhere close to seven, I'm good. So I, I actually I feel I feel all right right now. Cynthia's going to kill me. If yeah, yeah I get, you got the look, right? You can even see it behind the sunglasses. You just feel it. Hang around these events long enough and you can start to believe that maybe the campaign really is turning out a new Texas Democratic coalition. There are Republicans out here supporting Beto, and they're not the kind of Republicans who last voted for the party in 1988, but refuse to admit that they're now basically Democrats. These are Republicans who voted for Cruz in 2012. In Arlington, a woman named Sandy tells me she's not sure she agrees with Beto's immigration policies, but she voted for him anyway. She says he's a breath of fresh air, and she knows other Republicans defecting too. You have other friends who are kind of lifelong Republicans who are swinging over this time? Uh, my mother, she voted for Donald Trump. I couldn't vote for a man who used foul language about a woman. But she voted for him, and she voted for Bethel, so. The next day, about 75 people show up for a pre-dawn rally in Mesquite. They're gathered there in the darkness. The moon is still out. An older couple is standing a little off to the side. The husband, Bruce, voted straight-ticket Republican this year. So did his wife, Janet. Well, almost. I voted straight Republican except for Beto. I said, anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, okay, so you're, you're an Abbott Beto voter. Right. Oh, cool, yeah, there's been like talk of whether that's like something that actually will exist, but you are, you are that. Right. I sure did. I went there and voted all Republicans except for Beto. And, and sir, how do, you, how do you feel about Beto? I mean, I know you didn't vote for him, but. I believe it. I, he's a good man. He's strong. He stands for what he wants to. And he's going around spreading the word, which is good. It's opening up people's mind, and they're listening. And I'm starting to listen too. But yes, I'm, I'm a Republican. The people at these rallies, they see the early voting turnout and these unlikely supporters, and just like Jana, they think the polls are going to be off. So you, so you've you've seen the polls, and you still think he's going to win? Absolutely, absolutely. You know what? Polls don't measure turnout. They don't, they don't see who's coming out to the poll. They're looking at likely voters, but there have been so many people that have registered over the last month, uh, two months. I don't believe the polls. 
Uh, how are you feeling about the election? Do you think he's going to win? Yes, I feel very positive. <laughs> I've been looking at the polls and I've been trying to um, justify why he's going to win, which I have many reasons. But uh, I think uh, the fact that we broke the record for early voting in Texas is a good sign. And I'm also hopeful that a lot of first-time voters are going to get out there and vote for him. So. so when you look at the polls, that's what you that's how you justify Yes, because um, they do likely voters, but I don't think they take into account like uh, first-time voters or people that haven't voted in a long time. And I think that was his targeted audience. Remember Jim Henson and Josh Blank, who run the Texas Politics Project? They were on the first episode, explaining the overall dynamics of the election. They released their big October poll at the end of last week. It showed Cruz leading Beto 51 to 45. Still... They don't think these skeptical voters are totally off base. So your poll comes out on Friday. I get an email not long after from Progress Texas saying, uh, no one knows what a likely voter looks like in 2018. <laughs> I go out I, that, that same day I'm at O'Rourke rallies in Dallas, uh, ask people about the polling. They say, ah, the polls, you know, they don't, you know they're not they're, they don't know what they don't know what likely voters are. We don't you know we sort of reject that. Uh, O'Rourke said it to me himself. Basically, you know he's I said, you know this was two weeks ago and the results were somewhat similar to yours, and he said yeah I don't I don't think they're catching these people. What do you guys say to that? Sure, that's Josh. I mean you <laughs> Maybe. know that's Jim. I, you know, look, this, I think this is one of the open questions of this election. We've been, you know, we've been looking at this stuff the whole time really closely. And I mean, you know, there's a couple ways, you know, you can define a likely voter, whether any of them are, are right or wrong. How do pollsters decide who is a likely voter and who isn't? Well, there are two main methods. The first is to screen voters based on their past voting history. If you voted consistently in recent elections, it's a pretty good bet you're going to show up for this one. The second method? Ask survey respondents how excited they are to vote, say, on a 0 to 10 scale. In Jim and Josh's poll, if you say you're a 10, then you're a likely voter. If you say you're less than a 10, and you indicate that you haven't voted in every single election for the past few years, then you're not a likely voter. You'd think the two methods might yield different results. The first one says, this election is going to look like previous elections. The second one says, let's find out who the excited voters are, whether they voted in previous elections or not. But Josh says this year, it doesn't matter what methodology you use. You're getting basically the same results. Most sampling frames that have been constructed, which is just the list of people you contact based on past history are showing, cruise up by, you know, the single digits, high single digits. Polls based on attitudes are, uh, you know, seem to be doing the same thing. Josh knows that turnout is way up this year, that 2018 might end up looking more like a presidential election than a typical midterm. And that could throw things off. It's hard to identify if there's a huge surge of new voters who just show up and, you know, overwhelm our expectations about an election. The truth is, is that, you know, this is all based on sort of our historical understanding of uh, you know, again, what people have done in the past and also how, you know, stated attitudes predict future behavior. But if a bunch of people just show up, you know, and, and this election doesn't look like any other, then the results are going to be different. And, you know, there's a great there's a great movie that no one's ever seen except for Darren Shaw and us, our, our, uh, 
our collaborator on the UT poll about uh, machine politics in Chicago. And it's this great thing where, you know, the thing that makes machine politics work is, is small, small electorates because you know how everybody's going to vote. And then basically, you know, there's a big snowstorm in Chicago. All these people start showing up and one of sort of the precinct captains is looking around saying, I don't know who any of these people are. This is bad. And that's kind of, I mean, you know, I, this is not bad. I say this is good. We want more people to show up and vote. But as you introduce more people, I mean, it just, I think for all the things we've been discussing here, it does become... Creates uncertainty. Yeah, it creates uncertainty. Because, again, these people aren't moored as strongly by partisanship or by ideology or, or whatever. So so they come to the polls and, and who knows? My slight pushback against the Progress Texas folks in that scenario is that could still happen. You know, you could, and that being a huge surge of, of voters that we just never accounted for. But it still might not be enough to push O'Rourke across the finish line. One reason why it might not be enough? The Democrats are not the only ones out there trying to mobilize marginal, you know, marginal votes. Yeah. Right. Or marginal voters or people that may or may not turn up in a midterm election. There probably are a lot of de- new Democrats voting this time. My guess is there's also, you know, and the educated guess, I think, at this point, is that there are also a lot of general election Republicans and perhaps even some new Republicans that are in the mix, too. But what about the criticism that pollsters just aren't able to reach the kind of people who might very well become the new Democratic voters of 2018? One of the the dirty secrets of polling, I think, and it's not even that dirty, I'm going to say it out loud, which is that, you know, one of the, the, yeah, cover your ears, Jim. One One of the things we find is that, you know, your willingness to answer a public opinion poll about politics and talk about politics for 15 minutes is a pretty good indicator of your likelihood to vote. And so while it is the case that, yeah, it's harder to reach these young people, the question really just is, can we reach a representative sample of them and get get a hold of their attitudes? And the argument they're saying that, you know, well, it's hard to reach young people and they don't reach young people enough. Well, look, that's not the issue. What they're really saying is that young people are going to be a bigger share of the electorate than we expect them to be. And you're not capturing that. That's a guess. That's a that's a prediction they're making about the future based on their preconceived notions of what's going to happen. You know, they, well, we see so much excitement at the colleges and universities. Great. You know, that's fine. And the truth is, if, if young people end up making a higher share of the electorate than they normally do, it's not going to change, may not change the ultimate outcome, but it might change the outcome some. Life insurance is really important, but one third of people don't have it. That's because it's really hard to buy. You have to work out what you need, then do the research to find the best quote and hope you don't get swindled along the way. It's not a good way to shop. So Policy Genius made the whole process a lot simpler. Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies to find the best policy for you. All it takes is two minutes to get a quote. And even if you don't know the first thing about insurance, they've got all the tools to get you up to speed. I've looked over the Policy Genius site And it's easy to read, it's intuitive, and it gives you all the information you need in one place. So whether you know a lot about life insurance or nothing at all, start your search at policygenius.com. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes and make an informed decision for you and your loved ones. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. After leaving Beto in the Dallas area, I drive down to Waco to meet up with Mary Duty. You might remember Mary from our first episode. She's the chairperson of the McLennan County Democratic Party, a grandmother of seven. It's last Saturday, the midpoint of early voting, and Mary's office is mission control for the Democrats' election push. McLennan County went 60% for Trump, 
It's not one of those places that Beto jokes is so red you can see it glowing from outer space. But still, it's pretty Republican. Mary is working the phones. Uh, I'm sorry, my, my name's Mary. Duty, D-U-T-Y, as in on and off. Hazardous. She's also watching her eight-year-old granddaughter, Ava. I have, and because, you know, Grandma can't tell jokes. We were doing spelling words. And she said right, and then wrong, and she said, what's wrong with your country? And I said, Trump. She just started spelling T-R-U-M-P. It was like, yeah, that's how you get ice cream out of Grandma. Of course, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to, I want you to grow up with your own head, but... But that was clever, and that was a really snappy comeback. See, I can't tell jokes. (laughs) Mary's office is pure Democratic kitsch. Finger puppets of Trump and Putin. A magnetic playset stuck on a mini-fridge with Trump, Steve Bannon, and Mike Pence, complete with flaming Trump hair. Then on one wall... How many pictures of Ann Richards? Do we have? We have a million. (laughs) There's a newspaper headline that reads, She whoops him. It's from when Richards beat Clayton Williams in the governor's race in 1990. There are two photographs of Richards with a much younger Mary. And there's a bizarre drawing of Ann Richards overlaid on top of another Ann Richards, both in front of the state capitol. Mary's seen the polls, and she's seen what's on 538, the polling analysis website run by the statistician Nate Silver. He's giving Beto a one in five chance of beating Cruz. Let's talk about Nate Silver, okay? <laughs> yeah, and I need to spend some time with Nate Silver behind the woodshed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I have no, um, I have no ability to second guess this thing. I, I got a bunch of people that are coming along, and we're 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 working, and we're doing signs, and we're walking blocks, we're doing all this stuff, and I have no way to envision anything but winning. Mary's concerned about what's going on at one of McLennan County's five early voting centers. There's a local candidate, a white guy running for a seat that's long been held by a black man who's been campaigning within a couple hundred feet of the polling place. We take a trip there. Mary explains what's up. Uh, Day one voting, we had to ask him to leave because he was electioneering within 100 feet. Day two, his wife comes in, she accuses the election administrator of fraud, gets on the news, makes this huge 48-hour firestorm of controversy. Uh, We've had to have poll watchers over here watching every day. Uh, And then apparently today, there was controversy with him coming too close and being asked to leave. She and her deputy Mary Mann, another Waco grandma, sort the whole thing out. It's a small town, and Mary Mann is good friends with this guy's family. But then there's the polling station itself. It's on the former campus of Paul Quinn College, a historically black university, and it's the one that's closest to where most of the African Americans in McLennan County live. They're seeing triple the turnout of the last midterm, but the machines are jammed into a cramped room. And this is just the last straw, pretty much, of... You've been making these people vote in this little closet all this time? Because when I thought multi-purpose center, I was thinking the big room. And so when I saw this little closet, it was like, oh, no, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. The Marys are working to get the voting machines moved to a bigger room. But the machines, e-slate machines made by a company called Heart InterCivic, are themselves a problem. 
Some voters in Texas have been reporting that they voted straight ticket, only to see to their horror that their straight ticket Democratic ballot includes a vote for Ted Cruz. Straight ticket Republican ballots have had Beto selected too, an equally horrifying prospect for many. This has become a national story, although so far only a couple dozen cases have been reported to the Secretary of State. It's also only one of the problems with the e-slate machines. Anita Phillips, the election judge here at the old Paul Quinn campus, she says she hasn't seen any cases of straight ticket ballots having the wrong Senate choice. But she has had to cancel ballots because voters simply walked away before they clicked the red submit button. How often does that happen that you have to cancel one out? Typically, I may have one or two the whole time I have an election go on. This election, I've actually had maybe about eight that have walked away from their booth without casting their ballot. And that's a big difference because we're only five days in. And why do you think that is? Some of them just get confused. They think that once they've already selected their party or selected their candidates and they get to the summary screen that they think that they've already cast their ballot. So they don't realize that because they haven't hit the red button and seen the flag that they haven't, that their ballot's still on the screen. And the unfortunate thing about it is we'll make every effort to try to catch them before they get out the door. However, nobody else can put, push a red button but them. So that's, that's one of the things that we deal with. The Marys can't fix the machines, but they're trying to educate voters to make sure they don't make a human error. Mary Duty's job in general is like this. It's responding to a series of fires. The other day, her husband Roland turned this into a gag. As I was getting ready to go out the door that morning, he said, wait, and he handed me a fire extinguisher. He said, take this with you, you're gonna need it. Uh, so he, he's got a sense of humor throughout, and, you know, he, he, he's real supportive. She tells us about one unexpected fire. First day I drove Ava to school, came down by the police station in the suburban neighborhood. Ted Cruz signed there with a big old giant black spray paint X in it. And I drive around the corner, and I'm getting a laugh out of it up to a point. It's like, I ah, ride right across the police station. And then it dawned on me, oh, God, I'm going to have to go clean that up. I'm going to have to go clean that up because if I don't get ahead of this, if I don't do the right thing, then it's going to be those mean old Democrats. And so I went home, got some steel wool and whatever, and uh, went back and cleaned it up. And it was National Voter Registration Day, of all things. McLean County Democratic Party. This is Mary. It's someone from the Lupe Valdez campaign. Valdez is the Democratic nominee for governor. She's behind by 19 points in Jim and Josh's poll. Lupe's guy says they want to come to Waco, tomorrow, for an event. Can Mary put something together in a little over 24 hours? What do you think on time? You can get... If you have good traffic and the Lord in your driver's seat, you'll get there by 5, it's going to be 5.30. Depends on traffic, absolutely, but you're going north, so that's going to be decent. Um, let's call it 5.30, and I'm going to make sure we have people there. How about that? Mary's been organizing an event for the next day called Souls to the Polls. It's a post-church meetup for mostly African-American voters, near the Paul Quinn College polling place where everyone votes in that small room. There's a cookout, hamburgers, hot dogs, and people take turns voting in groups. 
That was already going to be a lot. Now the Marys are going to need a scramble. Talk to you in a bit. Bye-bye. So, we're going to dream up dinner for 300 people and an event tomorrow at 5.30 with the Hispanic community. Uh, Sounds like a plan to me. I think it'll work. <laughs> it's like impossible deadlines, and it's, it's like a, how much crap can you do and keep your head straight? You know, it's like, I did it. Spend time around the Marys, and you feel how fun this whole thing can be. There are things about the election that they think are unfair. Actually, they think they're pretty effed up. But they love the mission, and Mary Duty is on her mission everywhere. Her husband, Roland, the one who handed her the fire extinguisher, he's a Republican, and she's been working on him as hard as on the rest of McLennan County. The only thing he'll tell me right now is that I didn't vote a straight ticket. So he voted for some Democrats. But you think he might have voted for Beto? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a good chance, yeah. And I'll, I'll find out before it's over. <laughs> or he'll never get a kind word from me ever again. That's why he's never going to tell you yes or no. A few times throughout the day, the Marys bring up the old adage, all politics is local. It feels a little dated, honestly. In 2018, the adage seems like it should go, all politics is a late-night cable news shouting match. The Marys don't deny this. It's just that they think the place to start fixing it is at home. After our small town high school homecoming, you know, there there were divisions that you could feel it, you could see it, you know, and it's it permeates the social relationships. Not to the point that we're going to go blow somebody up, but to the point that we're hesitant to sit at the uh, same table in the neighborhood restaurant and bar. And when I had a guy at the fair the other day look me in the eye and tell me that I, I was the enemy, uh, I knew that we'd gone too far. I came around the table and I said, no, sir, let's talk, because we're neighbors. We can't be each other's enemy. And so, and we, we had a nice conversation and decided that all this national rhetoric of you know fear and whatever uh, wasn't what we're about here in Waco, Texas. A few weeks ago, Beto started to campaign more aggressively against Cruz. It wasn't nasty, but it was a departure from his tone up to that point. When he resurrected Cruz's Lion Ted nickname at the debate, well, it felt a little desperate, a change in strategy that was probably a response to the then widening polls. Beto still has ads on TV talking about Cruz, but in person, he no longer even mentions him. He's ending where he started, appeals to postpartisan decency, the kind of thing he celebrated in the famous bipartisan road trip that effectively launched his Senate campaign. As his early morning rally in Mesquite was wrapping up, he made his pitch. Be good to everyone out there. Be good to the folks who are on the other side of this race. Keep staying focused on the future and being positive. Thank you all very much. And then... This from a man in the crowd. F Trump. <laughs> Next week is going to be a little busy for all of us here at Underdog. In just three days, on Monday, we'll be releasing a special pre-election mini-episode 
taking stock of this campaign on its second to last day. Then, on Friday, we'll have our final episode, the scene from election night, and our best attempt, with help from some of the people we've talked to along the way, at understanding what it all means and what's coming next. For Beto, for Cruz, and for Texas. Underdog is a co-production of Texas Monthly and Pineapple Street Media. Our executive producers are Max Linsky, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Brian Standifer, who also scored and mixed the show. Underdog is produced by Chris Berube and edited by Joel Lovell, with help from Jonathan Menhivar. Our theme is Bloodhounds on My Trail, written, produced, and performed by the Black Angels, courtesy of Light in the Attic Records. Jorge Castillo played guitar for the score. I wrote, reported, and hosted this thing. I'm Eric Benson. Thanks for listening.